going to look this morning at verses 8 and 9, very brief section, but important for us this morning to really get to the bottom of it. I'll bet a lot of people in this room have had this experience before where you are on your phone, on your computer, you think about some product or thing, and the next thing you know, on all your browsers, there's ads popping up for that thing. And as you go back and think about it, you say, I don't, I don't remember even saying that out loud. How did it know? It's like it read your mind. Kind of creepy in a way. Well, not as creepy as this uh, headline from one uh, tech website from 2019 that said, Facebook is building tech to read your mind. The opening paragraph of the article reads, Facebook wants to create a device that can read your mind literally. It's funding research on a brain-machine interfaces that can pick up your thoughts directly from your neurons and translate them into words, the company announced in a blog post last week. Now, I imagine that kind of tech is probably, that kind of headline draws a lot of attention, but the technology is a long way out. But nevertheless, imagine for a second that we had that technology to be able to read your mind and translate your thoughts into sentences and paragraphs and perhaps even images. Pretty terrifying to think about, isn't it? Uh, after all, your thoughts are probably one of the most private things about you. Uh, we do a pretty good job of sort of setting up a facade. You know, we can smile and look happy and uh, you know, say nice things, all the while hiding our true thoughts underneath. So if someone could read our thoughts, that's sort of like the last frontier, the last barrier between the real you. I think one of the reasons we would be uncomfortable with the whole idea of having our thoughts projected somewhere is that we honestly think a lot of things we're not particularly proud of or maybe a little embarrassed about. Here, I think, is the real reason, though. The real reason that it would be uncomfortable is because your, real, your thoughts reveal something of the real you. Right? Because you can, you can go through those charades, but what you really think is, in a sense, who you really are. Your thoughts are, to a large degree, determine what kind of person you're going to be. You can't believe that you can think one way and yet live a different way. Eventually, the two are going to intersect, your thoughts and your actions. Therefore, what we put in, into our minds, that is, is in a sense what we get out. You can't believe that you can think one way and put into your mind whatever you want and it'll have no impact on how you might follow Christ or how you live practically. The struggle for our mind is extremely important. So the question is, what do you think about? What does your mind ponder and meditate on and, and think about? Because that will come to shape you. If you're filled with God's word, that'll come to shape the way you think and act. If you are filled up with thoughts of evil, well, that is going to shape how you act. It's in a way like feeding. You feed your mind a certain way. And whatever you feed it is what eventually you become, right? I mean, if you live on a steady diet of junk food, it's going to do bad things to your body, right? We need nutrition. The same is true with our minds. If we feed it only bad things, then it's going to do bad things to us. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 15, verse 14. The mind of the intelligent seeks knowledge, 
but the mouth of fools feeds on folly. Feeds on folly. That's what they eat up. They fill their minds with trash, and so they live it out. The main thought of our message this morning is really borrowed from a quote by expositor and theologian John Stott, who once said, the battle for the Christian life is the battle for the Christian mind. The battle for the Christian life is the battle for the Christian mind. If we win the battle of the mind, then essentially the Christian life is lived from the mind outward. You know, it says in Romans 12 too, be transformed. How? How is our life transformed? By the renewing of your mind. So God's plan is that our minds would be conformed to his good, pleasing, and perfect will, and that by doing that, we would live it out. So instead of filling our minds with garbage, we ought to think right thoughts that cause us to walk closer with God. In our text this morning, Philippians 4, verse 8, Paul paints a picture of a battlefield, a battlefield of the mind. Now, the previous verses we looked at last time in verses 6 and 7 talked about anxiety, worry. Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and petition. Well, worry, in a sense, is meditation, isn't it? When we worry about something, we take whatever it is we're worried about and we play it over and over in our mind. And we, we concentrate on it. We focus on it. We meditate on it. So essentially what Paul is saying is don't meditate on problems. Don't be anxious, worrying, running it through your head over and over again. What should fill our head? What should our minds be thinking about? And he gives us the answer in verse 8. We ought to meditate on that which is good, God-honoring. Really what this verse is going to do for us this morning is provide a grid, a checklist, if you will, to test our thoughts, as we just sang a moment ago, testing our thoughts and our attitudes. That's what these verses are going to do. If, is something worthy to be thought about? Should we fill our minds with this? Well, I'm going to encourage you to run it through these eight tests and see if it's something that ought to fill our minds. Before we get to it, though, let's read verses 8 and 9. Philippians 4, 8 and 9 says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, and if there is anything worthy of praise, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Before we get to the, the eight tests, I want to point out two observations just at the beginning here. First, we see this is a positive command from Paul. He's not telling us what not to think about. He's telling us what to think about. He doesn't say, stop thinking about this, stop thinking about this, stop filling your mind with this. Instead, he puts in the positive. Think about what's good. This is really a wise strategy, right? Because... If he had just focused on the negative, it would actually have the opposite of the intended effect, right? I mean, if he just says, don't think about this, don't think about this, what are you going to immediately think about? So let's test this. I'm going to say something, I'm going to put it in the negative, and you try not to think about it, okay? Don't think about the color red. Stop it. <laughs> I know you're doing it. You're thinking about the color red. Stop thinking about it. And the more I say stop it, the more you're thinking about it, aren't you? Now, if I say to you, I want you to think about blue. Think about the color blue. Immediately your mind is purged of all those red thoughts that you just had. 
You're thinking about blue instead. You see, it's the power of replacement. Instead of the void, instead of Paul saying, don't think about all this stuff, he gives us something better to think about. So our mind is not a vacuum. It will be filled by something. If we purge out what is bad, we need to fill it with something that's good. Second, though, at the end of verse 8, he says, think on these things. Think on these things. Then if you follow it up in the next verse, he says, do these things. You notice that doing is preceded by thinking. What we think comes first, and then we live it out. We do it. It's always going to be in that order. You're not going to do something that you're not already thinking about. So he gets this in its proper ordering here. First think this way, and then once we're thinking that way, then we're able to live and do those things. What are these eight tests I've mentioned? Well, let me give them to you, and you can fill them out on your outline there. Here's eight questions we can ask of any thought that we might be tempted to ponder or meditate on. Does it pass these tests? Number one, is it true? Is it true? Look at the beginning of verse 8. He says, finally, brethren. Now, the word finally, as we mentioned during Sunday school today, is a word that doesn't so much indicate that things are wrapping up, although that is true. Paul is kind of wrapping things up. My experience, though, is when a preacher says finally, uh, well, number one, it may not mean anything, but if it's coming to the end, usually we interpret finally as, okay, let me gather my papers here and let me get my Bible and close it and get it back in its Bible cover. It's time to go. But that's not the idea here. The idea is finally listen up. Instead of putting your notes away, you ought to pull them up and start getting the pencil at the ready because this is something important about to be said. That's what he says. Finally, brethren. By the way, this is the sixth time in the letter he's called them brothers, brothers and sisters. Refer to them as family. He, he will once more before the letter is finished. He, however, calls them to mental activity, to mental warfare. He says at the end of verse 8, the verb comes all the way. So he says all these tests, and then he gives us the verb, think on these things. Think about this. It's a word which means and refers to meditation, to careful, consistent, continual thought. This isn't just a, a thought popping in, but rather pondering it. It is, to a degree, true that we can't help what comes into our minds. I mean, stuff just flashes before our eyes all the time. You can't help what's on the billboard on the highway. You can't always help you know, what pops on the TV commercial. So there's things that come before our eyes. The question really isn't so much... You know, protect yourself. Go live in a cave somewhere where you're not going to be ever forced to think about anything. But instead, it's, what are you going to ponder? Something flashes before your eyes. Are you going to keep replaying it in your head, or are you going to flush it out and move on? Again, there are things that come up. The question here is, what are you going to spend your time thinking about? What are you going to focus on? Because what we think about comes to shape us. One author stated it like this, a man is what he thinks about all day long. So if you think about something all day long, it's going to shape who you become. The philanthropist Dale Carnegie once said, if I knew what you think, I would know who you are. And that is in a sense true, and it's true here. What do you think about? What do you meditate on? 
Well, here's the guidelines, the checklist. He begins, is it true? That ought to be the first question we ask. Is this what I'm tempted to think about, what, what's coming into my mind? Is it something that's true or is it something that's false? We don't want to set our minds on things that are false but on things that are true. Now, Paul doesn't specify what exact things we should think about. You notice, by the way, all through this passage, he says, whatever things, whatever things. He's not being specific. He's not saying you must think about this. But he is giving us parameters. If you're going to think about that, it better be this. It better be true. It better be pure. It better be lovely. So he's not spelling out exactly what we should think, but he does tell us that we ought to meditate, ponder the truth. What does that mean? What does it mean to, to meditate or to think on these things, whatever is true? Well, first, let me point out, it probably means, it certainly means, we ought to meditate on Scripture. We ought to meditate on Scripture. You know, at the very minimum, God's word is truth, the Bible says. So if we want to think about truth, why not turn to the truth, the Bible itself? We're told over and over again in the scriptures, meditate on the word. Make it our meditation all the day long. That ought to be what fills our hearts and minds. Now, again, let me, there's a lot of caveats I'm going to have to insert into this message. And here's one of them, and that is, the Bible's not saying we need to only think about the Bible. Like, any other thought is, is unworthy of the Christian, that your mind only ought to think about the Bible 24-7. Now, we ought to think probably about the Bible a lot more than we do. We ought to meditate on it. But I don't think he's saying we should only think about the Bible. We ought to think about it, though. And we ought to, we ought to meditate on it, that is, read it, mull it over. We ought to read it, for sure. We ought to memorize it. We ought to think about it. Another way to help fill your mind with Scripture is to be here on Sunday morning. You know, this is, this is, we're learning the Scriptures together. Uh, you know, these opportunities are times to fill your mind with Scripture. Not only, though, is it meditating on Scripture, I think when he says here, whatever things are true, he also is telling us to avoid lies. Don't meditate on things that are lies. Don't fill your head with lies. I know every single day you are confronted with hundreds, possibly thousands of lies. Things that just are flat not true. And we ought not let that dominate our thinking. Again, you, you can't really avoid it. We have to be able to recognize things that are lies. But that ought not to be filling our mind. You know, a lot's been said over the last couple of years about fake news on both sides of the political aisle. You know, if you believe things that are tr not true and you think about them, you're misled. We ought to think about things that are true, not false. Let me point out a couple of areas where this is a temptation for us. One of the things that are not true that we might think about is fantasies. People who live in sort of this fantasy world. Now, that may come from external sources, like a person might just drown themselves in TV and video games and uh, novels, you know, so much so that they engross themselves in a fantasy world, in a, in a world that's not true, and, and they find their thoughts continually about this TV show or this uh, you know, storyline. And again, I'm not against fictional stories. I'm not saying a believer can't enjoy a good fiction story. 
but to live there, to meditate on it, to have your mind totally engrossed in what is not true, it's not healthy. It's not good. But not all fantasies come from outside in. We also have ones that are born up from inside. You know, a person conjures up ideas of what life could be like. And this happens all too often, right? Somebody is in difficult circumstances and they just think to themselves, wouldn't it be nice if... And, and they, their mind just goes to work on creating these fantasy worlds in which everything is perfect. You know, our kids all get along and my wife's perfect, and uh, my job is perfect, and everything is working out, and they live in this, this fantasy world. It's not good. We need to think on what is true. After all, uh, I would dare say that probably no extramarital affair, affair ever begins without first starting as a fantasy in somebody's mind. You know, wouldn't it be great if? You know, it starts there, and it grows outward. So Let's not focus on what is not true or real, but focus instead on what is true. Finally, though, it also means that we should reject what is false. Reject what is false. This is similar to avoiding lies. But we ought to actually reject and say, no, that is not true. And I'm not going to live my life according to it. One commentator states it like this. There is no embrace of things that are true without an accompanying repudiation of things that are false. So we ought to stand against lies in our minds, in our words, and in our actions. Lies, after all, are the property of Satan. The Bible calls him the father of lies. So the first question is, is it true? Not, does this thought make me happy? Not, does this thought appeal to me? Not, does this thought... Uh, improve my life in some way? The question is, is it true? Again, there are things that come across our path that are not true. And they're unavoidable, yet do we meditate on them? Do we make that what fills our mind? Second test, is it honorable? Not only is it true, but is it honorable? Now, this is probably not a question that immediately occurs to us when we think about testing our thoughts. What am, is what I'm thinking about honorable? I mean, what does that even mean? I like how it says in some versions, whatever things are noble. Noble things should fill our mind. Well, again, that still asks the question, what is noble? What's honorable? When I think of the term, I think of another word, the word gentlemanly. It's probably not a very popular word anymore because, you know, just our culture, and you know, it's too masculine. But nevertheless, you know, if somebody's described as a gentleman or, or a woman as a lady, it means they epitomize honor. They're upstanding in character. You know, a gentleman hands, handles himself in a way that's courteous, that's kind, that, that's not base or lewd or uh, disgusting, but somebody who handles themselves in a way that exudes honor. Uh, the same word, by the way, noble, is used also in the letters to Timothy and Titus. Paul uses it there to talk about a deacon and his wife. They must be honorable. He also uses it of older men in the church that must be honorable. That is worthy of respect, respectable. Now, some people have, have suggested this word means austere or serious, like we have to have serious thoughts. You know, we can't, nothing joking or jovial. You know, we have to be serious people. I don't think that's what's in mind here. But our thoughts ought to be honorable, respectable, worthy of, of being honored. Not 
base gutter thinking. You know, people used to say, get your mind out of the gutter. Well, honorable thoughts are thoughts that are not in the gutter. If we have honorable thoughts, if we have noble thoughts, then we really shouldn't have an issue with people knowing our thoughts because they're honorable. They're not, they're not things that we should be embarrassed of. Is it honorable? That's a good question to ask. Number three, is it righteous or is it right? Uh, he says it here in verse 8, whatever things are just. The word just comes from the word, the Greek word for righteousness. So when the Bible talks about being justified, it really means to be made righteous. So what is right here? It's, it's essentially referring to God's character. God is described as righteous. And so if our thoughts are going to be on things that are righteous, it's things that conform to God's standard. Righteousness is God's standard. So how closely do what we think about line up with God and what he says? Do our thoughts fall dreadfully short of God's righteousness? Do they actually fit in the category of wickedness rather than righteousness? It's, it, that's the test. We, we line up our thoughts with God's standard. And how do they, how do they match? You know, we're so good at, at creating false standards, aren't we? You know, our standard, we just lower the bar. That, that's our strategy for approving ourselves. We'll just lower the bar. You know, sure, there's no way I'm going to live up to God's righteousness, so just keep, it, keep bringing it down. And eventually, if we start comparing to one another, well, my thoughts are better than they could be. You know, some people think really evil stuff. So mine are actually pretty good by comparison. Well, that's not the standard. The standard here is God himself. So is our thoughts fit with God's character? Or are they totally inconsistent? Fourth, the fourth test, is it pure? We ought to ask this question. Is what I'm going to think about, what I'm going to meditate on, is it a pure thought or an impure thought? Again, we look around in our world and impurity is everywhere. I mean, you can't avoid seeing impure things. And these things should not describe the way we think. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 5. Paul writes, But immorality and any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper for saints. Not among your words, not among your deeds, not even among your thoughts. We need to have pure thoughts, not impure ones. It's very difficult to do, to do when we have a world that's covered in, that's a filthy world. How do we have impure thoughts? Well, again, what are we meditating on? Scripture is good. It says in Psalm 119, verse 9, How can a young man keep his way pure? But by taking heed according to your word. It's the whole principle that you know, computer guys used to talk about, the garbage in, garbage out. You know, for that expression, it was if you put in bad data, you're going to get a bad outcome. Uh, the same is true with our minds. You put in bad stuff, you're going to get bad stuff out. If you think impure thoughts, it's going to eventually work its way out in impure ways. Leslie Flynn, who was an author and pastor of a significant radio ministry for many years, many years ago, I once told the story of a girl who came home from college. And she walked into the kitchen. Her mom was peeling 
uh, vegetables for making a salad. And the daughter sits down at the kitchen table to talk with her mom just casually and happens to mention that they're going to see this movie tonight with some friends. And it's a, it's a bad movie. It's not the kind of thing that is edifying or good, you know, lacking godly content, let's say it that way. Well, without missing a beat, the girl's mother reached down into the trash can, picked up a handful of garbage, and tossed it into the salad bowl. And her, her daughter was just aghast. You know, what are you doing? That, that's the salad. And she says, and her mom replied, I know, but I thought if you didn't mind garbage in your mind, you certainly wouldn't mind a little in your stomach. And that's what we put in. Impure thoughts is filling our minds and our lives with garbage that's going to have a negative impact on our life. If we think about what is impure, there's so many ways we can do it. But if we're going to live godly lives, remember what Stott said, the battle for the Christian life is the battle for the Christian mind. If we can, if we can think pure thoughts rather than impure ones, we are on the right course to a life that pleases the Lord. He follows that up, though, with another question, very similar to, is it pure? Is it lovely? We ought to ask that question. Is it lovely? Now, when you've read this verse in the past, I'll bet you, like I used to, you would read that and think, well, he means we're supposed to like think about sunsets and think about butterflies and flowers, you know, things that are lovely, things that are, are beautiful. And those are all, by the way, good things to think about. I mean, if you want to think about a sunset or butterfly, go ahead. Uh, you know, God's creation is a very beautiful, lovely thing. But he's talking here about thoughts, not necessarily landscapes. Whatever things are lovely, that is, not ugly, hideous, perverse, things that are beautiful. There's so much beauty that God has given us to think about. Think about even in scripture, you know, all the, the beauty of forgiveness, the beauty of love, the beauty of grace. And yet, there's also a lot of ugly things to think about. Violence, and hatred, and sin, and immorality. And here's the choice. We can think about one or the other. Things lovely or things unlovely, things ugly. Uh, by the way, this word here, lovely, doesn't appear anywhere else in the New Testament. It was, however, a popular word among the Greeks and the Romans who would talk about things that were lovely, things that delight or cause pleasure. And so Paul enlists this word to talk about things lovely, not just in the Bible, but things wherever you might encounter them that are good and, and pleasing. We ought to think about that. I was thinking about examples of this. I always think about like at... Uh, in the fall, we get to October, you know, and it's Halloween. There's so much ugliness and darkness associated with Halloween you know, that people, obviously a lot of people relish it. They just love it. Um, is that where our minds ought to be? Evil? Darkness? No. We ought to think about things lovely. Here's the thing. Sometimes our mind, this goes for pure and lovely. Sometimes our minds are split things. You know, we have some lovely thoughts, some pure thoughts, we also mix it with some other impure thoughts. And it's amazing that we, we somehow split up our own brains this way. Listen to what it says in James. James talks about this, not with the mind, but with the life. He says, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring 
pour forth the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my dear brothers, bear olives or a grapevine figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This ought not be so, he says. You know, here with your mouth, you're using it to bless and curse. And I, I would also say with our minds, sometimes we use it for things lovely and unlovely both. And we need to, we need to stop trying to ride the middle there and, and choose to think pure, lovely thoughts. I mentioned uh, last Sunday about working on our landscaping in front of our house. So we've got our landscapings all torn up. We're about to put it back together. Um, and in the past, there's been beautiful flowers planted there and stuff. It's just, it kind of has gotten run down to the point where we need to do an overhaul on it. Nevertheless, I just think it's interesting that right there in the front, you could have beautiful flowers growing. You know, plant a rose bush right there in the front of our house, and it would look lovely. They're beautiful things. But also, in our landscaping, there's a little PVC pipe that pops out of the ground right there. It's a, it's a sewage backflow pipe. It's capped off, thankfully. But it's right there. And I, I always just think that's a good picture of our minds sometimes. Two rose bushes with a sewer pipe in between them. And we have to choose, you know, are, are we going to think rose thoughts? Or are we going to think sewage thoughts? Because I think sometimes our mind drifts towards the sewer thoughts. He keeps going, though. Not only should we think thoughts that are pure and lovely, he also asks the question, tests our thoughts this way. Is it appropriate? Is it appropriate? Again, there's lots of things that we can think on that are not appropriate. Uh, the Bible here says in verse 8, things, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, of good report, spoken well of, things that are worth speaking well about. So are we thinking things that are appropriate? Now, obviously, the, the opposite of this would be inappropriate, right? You think of an inappropriate joke, something that, you know, the punchline is just graphic and disgusting. You know, is that what we think is funny? Is that what we're drawn to, inappropriate things? Or those things that are spoken well of, that are things that everyone would acknowledge this is good. Now, here's the interesting thing. In this list, Paul has been using a lot of words that, that are not typically New Testament words. They're words that are more in line with the Greco-Roman culture around him. And so it seems to be that he's implying, you know, we're not just required to think about only the Bible. He's not saying, you know, you Christian, you can only listen to Christian music, watch Christian movies, read Christian books, you know, hang out with Christian friends. Instead, it seems to be saying, listen, as you go about, evaluate what you're hearing. There are things even that, that may not be specifically Christian, but you can still think on them because they're good. Uh, a you know, great piece of classical music. It may not have been written by a Christian. It may not have a Christian message, but it's good. It's those things that are of good report. Uh, just this past week, uh, I was talking with Schaefer. We were talking about classic literature, you know, one of those natural conversations that comes up. Um, and so we were talking about classics, and he pointed out something that I think is really true, and that is books that are classics or considered classics are considered classics, because they get human nature right. In other words, these books that stand the test of time is because they actually agree with the Bible, even though oftentimes they don't realize it. They don't necessarily like, hey, I'm going to write a Christian novel. But they understand that you know, man's heart is evil. 
you know, and that people act a certain way, and, and here's how God has structured the universe. And, and if you get that right, then they're kind of off on the right track. So we ought to look, and, and we can appreciate classic literature, for instance, when it does agree with the Bible. Uh, there are great books that there's so much right about them, even though they're not specifically Christian. So I don't want to walk away from this message thinking, well, you know, the only way I can live this out is if I just meditate on the Bible 24-7 and you know, I can't ever do anything or think about anything else. I think there's things that are of good report, things that are appropriate that we can think about. Seventh, is it excellent? We ought to ask this question of our thoughts. Is it excellent? Notice he switches the form here a little bit. You know, he keeps saying whatever things, whatever things, whatever things, and then he switches. If there is any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy. So is there anything? And he's kind of wrapping this up. He's kind of encapsulating the last six things with this. You know. Is there anything excellent that's uh, a notch above? Things that are worthy of consideration. Excellence here refers to moral excellence, virtue. Uh, you might hear somebody talk about having high and holy thoughts. Well, here's what he's encouraging. High thoughts, things that are excellent. Not just things that are okay or, you know, that's acceptable, barely, but things that are morally excellent, that pass the test with flying colors. I think we fill our minds with a lot of things that are maybe not entirely bad, but they're certainly not the best things we could be thinking about. I just finished uh, Erwin Lutzer's new book entitled We Will Not Be Silenced. It's a great book, but he has this quote in here. Listen to this. As a nation, we have submitted our minds to electronic devices that now shape our thinking and provide endless entertainment. I think he's right. We've submitted ourselves to all kinds of technology that we, we, in many ways, is great. But it also shapes the way we think and introduces a lot of thoughts that might not pass this test. Whatever things are excellent. He also mentions if there's anything commendable. So is it commendable? Is it praiseworthy? Uh, look at the end of verse 8. He says, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Is it commendable? Is it something to be proud of? Is it something you'd be proud if others knew about it? Really, the idea here is, is it worthy of praise, praise before God? Is this something that when you get to heaven, that you wouldn't mind being trumpeted and sounded out? You know, here's, here's what you thought about. Here's what you meditated on. Because it's worthy of heaven's praise. If it's something that is an embarrassment and a shame to you, perhaps it's not something that we should be dwelling on, meditating on. Those are the eight tests. It's a pretty rigorous test, I know. But all of them are essentially saying the same thing, and that is we should think right thoughts, not wrong thoughts. And each one of these expressions maybe brings out a slightly different angle. But essentially there's one test, and that is do these thoughts, are they fitting for a Christian? Are they fitting for a follower of Christ? And we ought to run it through these tests, test our thinking. Then in verse 9, you notice what he says? The things which you learned, so the things he just talked about, the, the things you're meditating on, the things which you learned and received and heard in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul sets himself up as a model. He says, fill your mind with good things, and then 
in turn, live them out as I've modeled for you. A friend of mine expressed this passage this way. Verse 8 tells us to fill our mind with good things. Verse 9 tells us to fill our lives with good people, godly people. Paul is a model not only of of good teaching, but a a model of godly living. You notice this in verse 9, things which you learn and received, teaching, but also those things which you heard and saw. He modeled it. He says, go out and live it. In other words, a transformed mind is not enough. We need a transformed mind that leads to a transformed life. Live it out. And what will the result be? God of peace will be with you. He kind of caps off where he talked about the God of peace in verse 7. The God of peace is going to be with you. So the battle for the Christian life is really the battle for the Christian mind. What do we fill our minds with? What do we think about? Well, we should apply these tests to our thoughts. And I think when we apply these tests and we realize, oh, wait, there's some things I'm thinking about that aren't really good for me. What do we do? Or maybe we test the thoughts and there are things that we recognize that are good thoughts and things that we should be thinking on. So let me point out just three points of application here. So as we evaluate and once we've done the evaluation, what should we do? Number one, take out the trash. Take out the trash. You've been told that hundreds of times. But now I'm telling you about the mind. There's a lot of garbage that enters our mind that we think about that passes through our heads. Get it out. You know, again, what we think about is what we become, and and what we put in is what we get out. You ever pulled out the trash bag and you're headed to the garage or headed out to the trash can or whatever, and the bottom of the trash bag just busts open? I can tell by your faces you've had that happen before. And that disgusting trash all ends up on your kitchen floor. And you know what? You know who you have to blame for that nasty mess? You. You put that junk in the trash, didn't you? All those disgusting crumbs and slimy things. You put it in there, and that's what you get out. And so it is with the mind. Take out the trash. Get it out is what the admonition here. Take out the trash. Also, take responsibility for your thoughts. Take responsibility for your thoughts. I think a lot of people have this idea that, well, you know, stuff just comes into my mind. I can't really help it. I don't choose to think about that, but it just kind of happens. And their idea of the mind is something like a radio. And it's almost like, you know, in your car, do you have that function where you can press scan on the radio? And it just cycles through stations. And it, like, pauses for a couple seconds. You can hear it, and it just keeps cycling. And that's their view of the mind. It's almost like it's just spin the dial and, you know, we're just browsing through stations. I can't, I can't help what I hear. You know, I, I'm, I'm a victim of my mind in a sense. That whatever comes into it, well, that's just what I have to deal with. Well, we have a great responsibility to set our minds on the right things. Set your mind on things above, Paul says in Colossians 3. So we need to take responsibility. Instead of acting like, well, you know, my mind, it's out of my control. Sorry, I can't do anything about it. Instead, take every thought captive. So take responsibility for your thoughts. And then finally, take action. Take action. Don't just leave it as thoughts. Live out what you are thinking. If we think right thoughts, then practice them. Just as Paul says, the things you have learned and received and heard and saw, do them. And the God of peace will be with you.
Win the battle for your mind, and you will win the battle for the Christian life. 